The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced, the show about media and pop culture and, and what have yous in the age of, uh, of isolation and sadness at home. Uh, but we're, we're trying to pepper in a little bit of spunk and fun into your day. That's what we do here. I am Paxton Wright. With me is my co-host, Justin Kiever. As always, say hello, Justin. Hi, I'm Justin. But yes, you are. And uh, very excitingly, we have a we have a, a guest joining us today, a special mystery guest. But he's not going to be a mystery for much longer because I'm about to tell you his name. And his name is Issa Rashid, a good mutual friend of Justin and I's, but we also have not seen since the before times. Issa, how are you? I'm. That's a terrible question to ask nowadays. I'm, I'm here on your show, and I'm really excited. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, well, yeah, you, you should be honored. This is a very prestigious uh, big thing that we're doing here. Um, and so you're welcome. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Issa is going to just sort of join us for our, our usual ramblings and what have you, provide his, his insights and uh, I mean, well, he's going to do exactly what you'd expect he would do on this show. He's just going to be a, a third voice on the commentary, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's get right into it. Uh, what's in what's in the news this week? Justin, what, what is in the news? All right. Well, I mean, there are plenty of things in the news. I would say the one that kind of falls within our purview at this, you know, nice kind of cross section of media and politics that we sometimes kind of... Uh, occupy. We're always media, sometimes politics. That's what I mean. Uh, so yeah, basically last night there was kind of like a big, like very heavily viewed Twitch stream uh, that was run by uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, where she and Ilhan Omar and uh, a few like very notable Twitch streamers all kind of got together to stream the popular game Among Us as part of like a get out the vote sort of a campaign. And uh, yeah, did uh, did either of you watch that stream like as it was actually happening? I I did not watch it as it was happening, but I did catch some of the highlights later on and uh, sort of sort of gathered a, a lot of what went down and the shenanigans that were had. Isa, yeah, no, same same with me. I, I I didn't watch it, but a lot it sort of was a big social media moment, so a, a lot of people were sharing clips and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was um that was basically my experience too. So great, no no one here watched it. So just, I mean, totally prepared to cover this story. Well, I mean, you know, we we did at least watch clips, and um, 
Yeah. So no, I uh, I heard about it, wanted to watch it basically because I was like, I, I want to watch Ilhan Omar play a video game. Yes, please. But uh, yeah, wound up missing it and then watched uh, a Washington Post had like a 10 minute kind of like best of uh, that they posted this morning. And I honestly, like none of the more interesting clips that I saw, like kind of just like shared on Twitter were, uh, were in that best of. So, you know, for shame, Washington Post. Um, yeah, I don't know, it, it was a thing. Like that was, like the actual stream itself, you know, like was noteworthy mainly just because of like the combination of names involved. You know, like you have the, these two like very notable progressive uh, Congresswomen and also a lot of you know like really notable twitch streamers i mean like no one not like the biggest of the big names you know like the ninja was not in attendance uh thankfully i guess i don't yeah. know um, i was gonna say argu arguably cooler streamers at, at least oh yeah no <laughs> yeah like um yeah um hassan uh uh Hassan Piker, I think his last name is. And I, I uh, always know him by his Twitch handle of Hasanavi. Uh Hasanavi. So I, I never yeah, um <laughs> I can make Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly that's exactly why I um so if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. But uh yeah, um H Bomber guy who um was noteworthy, like one, because like he, you know, in addition to being a, a streamer, he's a noteworthy YouTube essayist, but also uh, was the person who hosted AOC's original appearance on Twitch. You know, he was doing his, uh, it was it was a Donkey Kong uh, 64, like full complete speed run. I say speed run in air quotes because it took him like a hundred hours to do it uh just still but, probably a record for that game <laughs> <laughs> i think uh oh man i actually don't know what the 100 percent record is i think it's something like five hours like it's something like very you know like as with speed runs it's shockingly fast but uh yeah so he was doing a a benefit stream for a uh a trans a trans organization and uh, like an organization for trans people in the uk as kind of a response to some of like the uh the like the anti-trans rhetoric that was kind of becoming very mainstream at the time and uh yeah uh at some point like this became like this was going to start as like a relatively small thing but he has like you know a fandom but uh it started as kind of like a more modest thing it, it ballooned into this like big effort that around 50 hours in i think aoc uh like called in and said trans rights on his stream right so there's yeah. kind of a um so that was sort of like you know the the origin of aoc's like you know uh uh, relationship to twitch but i mean aoc like as i think we all know like plays league of legends so like you know she is like someone who plays games but yeah so so h bomber guy was on this uh pokimane i think is like the to my knowledge like the biggest name um who uh appeared on the stream i mean that's maybe debatable depending on like who you're a fan of what but, like, circles you're like, in but yeah so yeah, and I don't know, like that was that was a thing that occurred. And I guess like from the uh, from the clips that y'all saw, like what was your impression? I guess let's kind of like before we get into kind of like the implications of like what does this like suggest about kind of like uh, political outreach, you know, going forward. Let's just kind of like start with this thing as like a media spectacle. What was y'all's uh, impression of the stream from the clips you saw? Like what did you just kind of like gut reactions? Well, it was just like genuinely nice and wholesome to see like congresswomen having fun playing video games and stuff. I think there is this sort of, um, I don't know, I, mean, I think, I, I, I want to say it's because media has changed so much, but like there's this sort of 
polit like approachable politician persona that a lot of politicians go for where it's like I have a dog and you could get a beer with me maybe and anyway I'm taking away your health care um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that um, AOC and I, I forget exactly who else was on uh, the um, uh, Alana Omar was on there but I think there's more as well anyway they're sort of like they're, they're relatively younger and there's sort of a new media environment which is sort of based on authenticity and I think that it just felt like really nice to, to watch someone play video games yeah yeah agreed I think that was um that was I think the thing that, that stuck out to me the most is uh one thing that is both I, I understand and and don't necessarily want to invalidate, but also does deeply frustrate me about sort of this this chapter we're in right now, particularly in the last month or two, is that, and I think it's one of the reasons that Justin, you and I have actually strayed just slightly from this, is that everything is political, which which the the I mean, yes, the stakes could not be higher this election, but like when you when you tune into uh, ABC family and you're being yelled at that, like we're battling for the soul of the nation. It's like, I just want to watch the Goldbergs. Um, but like, like I, I've never seen the Goldbergs, but it was the first one that came to mind. Um, but like, like there is so much rhetoric about just the high stakes here um, that like, I think we have, we have in a already very joyless chapter in history uh there there is such a concerted effort to sort of suck joy out of everything which is uh, which again is it's a catch and it's a, a bit of a catch 22 and like i don't even mean to besmirch that because yeah the stakes are huge here this is a this is a really big election but it is nice to see the topic of voting and the importance of democracy and the importance of elections and and uh and and voter outreach all of that still acknowledged but through a realm of something that is a bit more calm and and just fun and like escapist while still focusing on the issues and i think justin you and i were talking about this before the show went on but but even uh uh, uh among us is a game that is literally all about voting it's about the you, you for those who don't know how the game works just a very very brief overview is the game is essentially sort of like sort of like the game mafia or werewolf or whatever version of it you played as a kid which is you're among a group of of uh sprites who are all astronauts on a space station everyone is assigned a role and two people are the quote-unquote imposters who have to go around and murder everybody on on the ship they have to murder all the non-imposters and uh, votes are regularly called among the groups and people have to vote on who they believe uh the imposters are while the imposters have to pretend to be the average good guys and sort of try to cover their own butts and it's basically all a it's basically all a game about gaslighting and voting which is very very uh pertinent to do the 2020 election so but but yeah it, so it was it was nice to see a game that is very relevant to to the matter at hand the issue not being dropped the importance of voting continually being reiterated throughout the the campaign but also done in a way that is uh, 
a bit more relieving, which I think is just what so many people crave right now. And it was also another topic we can get into in a second is the fact that it was a really, really smart method of uh, youth, uh, youth voter outreach too, um, which is however you may feel about the Biden campaign, whether you're enthusiastic, whether you're blech or whether you're boo, wherever you may stand on it. I think it's a pretty, it's pretty objectively clear that their youth outreach has been uh, uh, somewhat lacking. Um, they have not, they have not exactly delivered on that realm. And so it is nice to see that slack sort of being picked up from people in Washington who are really popular among uh, young, uh, young demographics and doing it in a way by, by uh, uh, reaching out and working with celebrities who do appeal to younger audiences. So whereas like, you know, you saw like the, the DNC a few months ago, you had like Ava Longoria and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, terrific professionals, great at what they do, no disrespect to them, particularly not Julia Louis-Dreyfus, big fan. But the, the, the star of Desperate Housewives doesn't exactly get 18-year-old Zoomers stoked, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that's a great method of outreach. So when you get people like H-Bomber Guy and Moist Critical and Gus Johnson, that's really cool. And that is, I hopefully, it remains to be seen how things play out in the next few weeks. But I, I, I think um, is a really smart means of outreach and uh something that i i think is very encouraging to see um well frankly paxton i think you're uh, underselling how many 18 year old fans of veep there are so uh <laughs> check yourself um yeah no i mean like so yeah as you pointed out paxton i guess like one thing i do want to point to about this because yeah i mean like i agree with Issa. like i think you know like it seemed like very pleasant very wholesome and there's something and yeah, there's something to be said for kind of like some, you know, progressive political content that is like about people like having fun together. Um, but yeah, like I can like very readily imagine like there, there's something there's something like a, a very perfect confluence of things where like, you know, a game becomes incredibly popular on uh, Twitch and just like, you know, streaming and like any kind of, uh, you know, Twitch, YouTube, whatever. Um, it becomes very popular and it happens to be about voting like like one of the first clips I saw was uh, a clip titled um, it was posted under the title like Pokimane and AOC say the thing and the thing was them voting out uh, Hassan who was like you know, had an orange avatar and basically it's like Pokimane and AOC going like hey we got to vote out orange he's sus and it's just like I get it hey yeah uh, yep that's uh, I see what that yes um yeah, so I don't know, like it, it's, yeah, like a kind of like perfect happenstance that like there wound up being this game that could like communicate, like that, that was like, you know, very openly about voting. And that was something that I saw kind of like weaved through like the the clip, the, the clips that I saw where, yeah, like it's, you know, it's this political engagement that is both like very, you know, overt, like get out the vote stuff. And also uh, things that are like a little more subtle. I mean, still pretty obviously kind of like, you know, political, like AOC kind of like expressing her political beliefs. But like at one point she says like, I can't believe this ship still runs on fossil fuels. And so it's like, you know, like like there there's actually one thing I thought was kind of like interesting is sort of like, there's like an active like reading of the game kind of like through this, you know, like, like, you know, progressive democratic like political lens that, you know, like is, you know, if you're savvy, you can kind of go like, okay, yeah, like, yes, the Green New Deal, like, I see why this is being brought up, like, um, 
but also yeah like you know feels more like that's also it's an interesting way to engage with this stuff because yeah you're meeting people like where they are you're meeting them like you know at this kind of like representation that they're you know engaging with day to day you know like i'm assuming a lot of the youth are watching these streamers play things like among us and you know like it's getting them to like think about among us in a way that they hadn't thought about it before and like getting them like to reflect on a kind of like uh, an industrial, I guess, in terms of like the the fossil fuel example, like it's getting to think about among us in, a, in terms of like an industrial reality in which they are living in that among us is representing back to them. And that is, you know, that end of that as a kind of like voter engagement thing, I think is novel. The sort of like question going forward, I guess, because like this, the stream was like really, really uh, well watched, like I think 430,000 people like tuned in to watch the stream, which is, you know, pretty, those are good numbers. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to like, I, I don't want to spit false information, but I believe I heard that it was one of the most watched streams in Twitch history. It's uh, having been only beaten out, I think by like one or two ninja streams and a few others, but this was up, this was up there as one of the biggest. Yeah. I mean, that would I mean, that would track with basically what I know. I mean, it was like, I think it was the biggest last, it was definitely the biggest last night, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah, like it, it did, it did very good numbers. Like people wanted to see this. And I mean, I guess like the one, I mean, the question becomes like, you know, are they people of voting age who are watching this? Like, you know, to be real, like uh, the, the audience of Twitch, you know, like not universally, it does not universally skew young. Like I watch, you know, some Twitch streamers occasionally, but like, I know that like the, the viewing audience for, video game streams does tend to skew let's say below the voting age nonetheless like this is a way of you know you know it's a kind of political engagement that is novel that is new and also i think speaks to something that isa pointed out um which is that yeah like there is a kind of uh the thing that i think really annoys people about aoc and about helena Moore and about like the, the squad generally that like that that group of uh, progressive congresswomen that kind of like have become known collectively as the squad is that they all seem like human beings in a very effort, like in, in a very like effortless way that you know, you see uh, that you see politicians try and emulate all the time, just as Issa said, you know, like that person you can get a beer with. But um, yeah, like the thing about Ilhan Omar and AOC and Rashida Tlaib is that like they all actually do seem like people, and, and I do think you know a part of that is that you know they're not. I mean, I hate to make it a kind of like, you know, political insider, political outsider thing, because that's not really the, the full reality. But like there, there is a there's something to be said for someone who seems earnest in the sphere of American politics, because there just are not very many people who like, you know, give off earnestness. And the whole thing about Twitch is that like Twitch as like a media platform actually really feeds off of performed earnestness. You know, like it's all about this kind of like, you know, they're, they're doing that kind of a emotional labor might be a term for it, but it's that kind of like affective, like, you know, I am here, you know, performing to a camera in a way that makes you, in a way that makes you the viewer feel like I'm hanging out with you. Like that is like, I think that is something very specific to, um, or something that's very uh, integral to the streaming of video games. And I think that is a way to connect with, uh, you know, voters, especially young voters who tend to, or, you know, young people who tend not to be super jazzed about voting um, for reasons that I think are, you know, at least half justifiable, to be honest. Um, but it's a way to kind of like connect with them emotionally in a way that like, and like the thing is like emotional connection is actually very, very key to getting out the vote. 
you know like people know like in general people know they can vote they know voting is a thing they can do but like there is a I think there's like an emotional kind of disengagement with politics and like uh, that leads to people not voting as much and leads to people not believing in the American political system generally. And I think that the people that are like really engaged in it tend to be like very emotionally affected by it in ways that are, you know, I think sometimes quite, uh, to be honest, like, you know, sometimes rather damaging, you know, it's like people get angry and then they vote. Like that's, you know, we we've seen the, outcome of that one could say over the last four years but you know like there's something but on the other side of that and like to maybe like to maybe inspire like a moment of like self-criticality among the three of us and I think we all you know enjoyed what we saw on the stream I think we were charmed by it but I can't help but remember uh, a bit of like what I when you hear people who voted for Reagan talk about the experience of watching Reagan back in the day and they go like well I just like his smile like, I mean, it's a, it's a similar kind of thing, you know, like where it's a very, like it's, a, it's an emotional connection. It's actually a very, it's a very, very similar kind of parasocial connection of like, this person just makes me feel good. They seem like, you know, when I say AOC and Ilhan Omar seem like people, they seem like, I feel like I am listening to people. Like that is, you know, a very particular kind of like emotional political engagement. And it's good. I mean, the thing is like, and the thing is like AOC and like, you know, especially Ilhan Omar, have good politics or they have politics that I agree with, I guess I should say. So I'm like, you know, glad to see them kind of performing this kind of, uh, perform this kind of parasociality in a way that like, I think will get out a, you know, a young voter and a young voter that, you know, can see that like, hey, progressive politics or look, progressive politics and video games can overlap, isn't that neat? Yeah, that's, I, I think it's really interesting that uh, just how starved millennials and Gen Z have been for any sort of politician to sort of speak to them. And I, I think Bernie was really good at that. I think AOC is also really great at that. But I, I also like, when I think about other politicians and their sort of millennial and Gen Z uh, outreach, it's just so incredibly lacking. Like it's just all Pokemon go to the polls and that's <laughs> it. Sort of ends. Never forget. Uh, oh man, I'd like to. <laughs> uh, but, you're right we shouldn't um, forget that sorry uh paxton earlier uh i've, I've got the stats of the, the live stream and yeah it is it is uh in the top five most recorded or uh, most watched uh twitch live streams it uh it did have four hundred thirty-five thousand live viewers in its peak but then since then it's been viewed um sorry uh, i have the number and I lost the number. A lot, a lot more crazy. than that. <laughs> a lot more than that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like four point something million. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking. At, I'm looking at the Ars Technica uh, write up right now, and yeah, it says the the debut video clip has attracted over four point seven three million views. Wow, that's 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 pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I, oh. I mean, and I think it's I think it's also refreshing. Uh, just as sort of one last closer on this, because there is one other story. I'd, we have very, very little time, but we can glance over very briefly because I would be remiss if we didn't. But yeah, I think that's an appropriate amount of time for that story. Yes, I will just say it's nice to be able to talk about uh, politics uh, on, uh, what is it, Oct October 21st, 2020, uh, a, a date that is only going to get scarier as the number get bigger. Um, but, uh, it's nice to be able to have a discussion about politics that is actually encouraging and, and relatively uplifting and optimistic, even if it's just 
a drop in the bucket compared to the rest of the discussions. It's, it's a nice one. Um, anyway, other story. We got a couple minutes here. Uh, Quibi's dead. Long live the Quibi. Uh, <laughs> but that, that is news breaking as of about two hours ago. What is Quibi, you may ask? And, with and so would a lot of other people. Yeah, it's the question we've all been asking for the last nine months or whatever it's been. But it was a streaming platform and it existed. It's a question Jeffrey Katzenberg has spent over a billion dollars <laughs> trying to get you to know the answer to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so so my understanding of, of Quibi, and again, I, I, I've had nine months to learn what Quibi was, and I still feel like my understanding is fairly limited. But basically, it was a, a streaming platform that existed solely on the smartphone, uh, which it, it produced original content, uh, television content, uh, that each episode was 10 minutes long. Uh, and the whole appeal was that it was like short bite-sized television episodes that you could watch on the go. A novel idea in theory, when put into practice, I certainly didn't care. I actually did think at the very beginning when Quibi was first announced, I was like, oh, maybe this will take off. Who knows? I'm not the target demo for it, but maybe they're out there. And apparently they're not out there. Um, (laughs) Apparently everyone was of that same mindset. I, I don't have a ton to say on the matter, but Quibi has been a great punchline for the last year. And it's nice that it's really going out with a solid, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a snare drum, just Rodney Dangerfield zinger right at the end. It's, it's great. It's great. You love to see it. it I, I, I've been a, a huge fan of Quibi throughout I, it's been a, a wonderful trash fire just to sort of gather around and, and keep yourself warm P- part of it that makes me so happy that Quibi's dying or dead is it dead dead oh um, uh, it's it's, uh, it's dead as of uh yeah like two hours ago I, it, it might still be on the way out but it's it's officially it's officially done so the entire thing might have been just sort of a labor exploitation scheme because they had like union workers working on like premium television and movies, but it was technically like short form web content, which means they got to underpay everyone. So I'm really, it just, the schadenfreude here is just so amazing. Yeah, I'd like to say that's a surprising uh, bit of news, but knowing that uh, the, the CEO of Quibi was former California gubernatorial candidate Meg Whitman slash hopefully not a uh, uh, contender for uh, uh, Biden's cabinet should he win in November as is being sort of rumored right now. Um, knowing that she is behind it, uh, uh, none of that comes as even a slight surprise. <laughs> but it is what it is, I suppose. Anyway, uh we yeah we, we gotta get going we gotta take a quick break here but uh yeah rest in peace quibby gone but forgotten all right we'll see y'all real soon
listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I am Justin Kiever, and I'm one of the co-hosts. With me is my other co-host, Paxton Wright. Hello, that's me. And, you know, if you're just joining us, you know, in the back half of the show, uh, I should let you know that we also this week have a guest with us, uh, Issa Rashid, a, a personal friend of uh, just. Uh, almost said my name, um, of, uh, of Paxton's and also of Justin's, Justin being me. I'm just going to lean into it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so say, say hi, Isa, for people that might just hi, be joining Isa. us right now. He did it. He did, he the, did thing. the thing. He ah. did the thing. I, 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 I binge, binge uh, listened to your show for quite a while, actually. <laughs> Wait, really? Is that true? Yeah. When, yeah. Oh, you're an angel. Thank you. You're one of like four people, <laughs> but, but bless you. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's incredible. I didn't know we had listeners. Back I, I know. I know. Now that we're, now that we can't go into the station anymore, we can't track our numbers, which now I'm just going to assume we're doing great. <laughs> now that, now that we know that Issa's a fan. Someone has said that they've binged us. I mean, like that's like, we've made it. We're a real media property. <laughs> I will say though that you're, your uh, sort of podcast link is broken on KUCI website. So if anyone wanted to listen to it, they couldn't. Oh, that's not good. Um, yeah. oh, that's, oh man. Well, oh, I, yeah. I will uh, uh, reach out to the powers that be after this show. Um, thank you. Thank you for informing me. Um, that's... <laughs> yeah, I, I did this not as your friend, but as a fan of the show. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. I guess I guess this is like some weird warped form of uh, of fan mail, but but thank you. We'll take it. Um, Every so fan of your show is is guaranteed a, a spot on your show. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> just just call in, ladies and gentlemen. You're uh, you're always welcome here. I <laughs> I may have just opened Pandora's box by saying that, but we'll find out. Uh, Justin, what what are what are we doing in the back half of the show? So the back half of the show is called Feast in the Weast, and that is where we talk about the media that we have been feasting on in the western part of the United States. Not necessarily, depending if some, someone can call in from anywhere, frankly, now that we know that that's a possibility. But um, yeah, yeah you, were, where we you talk were east a few weeks ago. That was fun. I, I was east a few weeks ago. So yeah, like this is where we talk about the media, what we have been feasting on, what we have been playing, what we have been watching. Uh, I think what we have been reading would be fair game too, but who reads anymore? <laughs> Let's be kidding. Let's not get ourselves. That's that's never coming up on this show, but but it's a technically a possibility. Uh, one day I'm going to come in with just like some like really difficult theory that I've been reading for my dissertation, man. And we're going to lose all four of our listeners. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, given that we have a, a guest this week, uh, a fan of the show, um, I figure we would, uh, we would ask uh, our guest Isa what media he has been feasting on. So Isa, what have you been, what have you been watching? What have you been playing? What have um, you been engaging with in the media world? Okay, well, so this is interesting because Paxson said you gotta you gotta give me media you were consuming, or I'm not gonna be your friend anymore. So <laughs> I I wrote a really I, I just kind of wrote a lot of media down to sort of see what I wanted to talk about. Um, and I, the world's on fire right now, and I haven't been happy, and it it doesn't feel good to like watch X Men two during an apocalypse i just like if there's just a sense of 
so I, I read a lot of media, uh, just a lot of things I've been consuming, like uh, spaghetti as, um, as media. Um, that qualifies? Um, uh, M&M's have done a uh, candy bar. <laughs> we want to talk about that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow <laughs> down, Starsky. <laughs> they've like done what bar. now? <laughs> but it's like a Hershey's bar, but they have like M&M pieces in it. Um, Science has officially gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> My next piece of media was Avatar The Last Airbender. I watched all of that. And then it was Ikea, which was the one I had the most talk about. Let, let's let's get into uh, the you have the most um avant-garde approach to uh to defining media that i've ever heard but i'm oh. i'm i'm very intrigued because it is quite frankly a very uh broad term so let's get into ikea as a media product please um, I, uh, I, tell us your I experience say in regards to that that um i have been watching a lot of films i i've sort of I, I was sort of accepted into a really nice sort of student program where I've been invited to a lot of film festivals. Are they all um, happening at Ikea? No. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> no, but like the media I've been consuming that's sort of traditional as in cinema is all like really like niche to the point where I, it just, I would sound like such a dweeb. Um, the best film I've seen in the past like five years has been a Ukrainian film called Atlantis. That has to do with like the the economic repercussions of a hypothetical war with Russia, and it just felt really nice. And also, every shot is an extreme long shot, so the aesthetics of it sort of like reference street photography and like photojournalism in a really interesting way. Hmm. Um, but no one's seen that film except for <laughs> people who go to film festivals. So that like I'm not. I mean, I kind of want to hear a little more about that, at least just like, you know, year and director, because I've never seen this, but it sounds fascinating. Yeah, so he, um, I got to go to like a Zoom Q&A with him as well. He's super chill. Uh, He's Mm. also, he was also the uh, cinematographer, so that uh, the sort of aesthetic sensibilities were really at the heart of the work. It Mm. takes place, it's sort of like speculative fiction in the same way Handmaid's Tale is where it's just like vaguely a few years in the future. And Ukraine's been completely devastated by like a really long war with Russia, which sort of reflects current tensions. And there's just, uh, so there's a guy that works at a steel mill and he is uh, really unhappy because he just kind of has to exist while the society around him has collapsed. Like uh, the steel mill is owned by an American company and they, there's, there's, there's really nice Marxist sort of, than to, to understanding how uh, war ravaged countries are taken advantage of by uh, virtual powers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's so incredible because uh, it, it just, to, to sort of be in that mindset of like a collapsed society felt so viscerally relevant right now. And I can't it, imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was so, I was so in love with it. Every shot was I, I I I've always wanted to do like a film that's all in long shot and he did it and it is just like as visceral and as like human as I had imagined that project to be like every shot is an Edward Hopper painting 
and we're kind of living in an Edward Hopper painting right now. So like it, it really, I don't know. It, I, I rediscovered my love for cinema. It's called Atlantis. It might never come out for normal people. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's very unapproachable. Yeah, the that's, media that's, that is approachable mm-hmm. that I'm really in love with, and I think we're, we sort of like nothing bad can be said about it. Is IKEA? Um, <laughs> yes. Tell, tell tell us about this media object, IKEA. Yeah, <laughs> this I, is a, I, a perfect segue from from uh, one piece of content to another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've um, I've had opportunities to go to IKEA during this um, quarantine, and I've rejected them all because I kind of want the sort of platonic concept of Ikea, of Ikea to be preserved. Like, I don't want to wear a mask at Ikea. It's sort of like wearing your shoes in like a mosque, you know? It's not really, <laughs> like, it's, it's a happy place. And I it's think- the first time I've ever heard someone compare Ikea to a place of worship. But, but I not think it's, uh, it's not, it's, yeah, not my first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like it just, it's such an experience. Like, I mean, Disney spends like billions to create like Galaxy's Edge in, in, in Disneyland, which I think they're sort of trying to replicate the same feeling where just the sort of walking in the space and cohabiting with it is sort of a type of storytelling yeah, I actually, I actually think that's a really, like, I'm completely with you in that argument, because I think, because, yeah, like, really, like, the whole thing with Ikea is that, you know, a big part of the Ikea experience, you know, like, in addition to kind of, like, you know, walking through, like, themed, like, here's where all of the beds are, you are, you are always walking through applications of Ikea furniture, they're always giving you a vision of, like, hey, you, you're shopping at Ikea, therefore, you live in a tiny apartment, uh check out what you could do with this space check out like what we can provide for you and they they always like they're putting you in this kind of home space that you're meant to kind of like the, yeah like it's it's a fictional space like it is you know like you're inserting yourself into the kind of this like idealized you know like diegesis of uh like urban living yeah you're always in a new you're always in a new greenwich village loft that has like its own <laughs> story to tell and it's like and like uh, and every single one of those loss is owned by like a very discerning aesthete. Um, but like, but the, the idea that it promotes like, hey, you can be a discerning aesthete too. Like it's, it's, it's exciting. And every, I think for me, like one of the most exciting parts of like, by the way, I, I want to be very clear. I wasn't besmirching your point by comparing Ikea to a place of worship. I think it's very apt uh, because I, I too I am a human being and thus I love Ikea. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, for me, one of the most fun parts of Ikea is walking through the display apartments with the display homes with whoever you're there and you go, Ooh, I like this home. And then someone's like, no, no, no. I like that home. And you're like that home. Ugh. And like getting into like heated debates over these like fake fictional living rooms like is like it is a it is a weird but like very pleasant uh engagement with the space and like a a sharing like a a a place wherein you can sort of share and discuss uh aesthetics and and personal tastes in a very interesting way that you otherwise wouldn't because you wouldn't really walk into a friend's apartment 
that was decorated in a way that you thought was very ugly and be like, Hey, your furniture looks awful. This like this, this, <laughs> uh, this carpet is tacky. It's gross. I would put a, I would put a faux mid-century modern uh, uh, wooden nightstand next to that table. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. And if you would, you probably don't have a lot of friends and you're probably not going to be going back to that apartment anytime soon. <laughs> Ikea is a place wherein you can uh, very, openly and freely judge or celebrate different different uh, 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 means of decor and it is like a fun little open forum you can have with the people you go with yeah it's it's a lot like playing house when you're a, a child mm -hmm. it, and like with that that sort of which by the way is i i think that's why boomers don't really get ikea like Playing house as a millennial or Gen Z, we're never gonna have a house. It's very nice to like <laughs> renting till we're, we're we're dead. So it's really nice to sort of, I mean, it, and it's 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 um whoever you're with, you're sort of like consistently playing house with them. Like you're talking about the furniture, and like they become your family in the same way that the kids you played house with. As a, as a toddler became your family and there's another thing where it goes beyond the display cases like each chair you could sort of project somewhere and um, a Marxist writer Wolfgang Fritz Hogg had a really interesting book called Critique of Commodity Aesthetics in which he talked about the duality between commodity and commodity aesthetics or sorry the dichotomy and he said like commodities exist and you buy them and sell them and, but there's things like that sort of the aesthetic around it sort of builds this sort of pure, unbreakable, like a, amazing version of the, the thing. Um, and, and I think Ikea really exemplifies like peak commodity aesthetics in that way, where like I see a chair that I really want. And for a moment, I'm projecting it as like, my, my, I, I can sort of play an ownership of it and sit in it and like imagine an apartment <laughs> and, and it's like a perfect like <laughs> it is such I mean it's it's it it's like I don't know it's it's such a, an experience and it's it's such it's so unparalleled and I can't really like the only other thing I could think of that's close is Disneyland and even that and I, I think Ikea does it better like <laughs> this sort of environment as play yeah, that's uh, th that's actually really fascinating. I've not actually read any Fritz Hogg, so um, commodity. So like, I know, uh, yeah, commodity aestheticism, which is apparently a, a term that he coins, is not really a, like, it's a concept that I feel like I can kind of like from my general like background knowledge of Marxist theory, kind of like you know into it. But like, it's a, uh, yeah, like, it's not a term like I know like the the ins and outs of. But I feel like yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like, there's a kind of um. And I think it's interesting that you're saying like they do it better than Disney. I think that like what you're like really kind of identifying that's really interesting is that they're doing a very similar thing and Ikea kind of like there's this exaggerated quality to like that like ability to which you can like project yourself into those environments because there's like an accessibility via the commodity like via the kind of like the access because there is an actual accessibility of all of these items because you can buy any of them. So like the commodity form, you know, is like it permeates the Ikea environment, you know, like you're always in a situation that you can like, that you're, 
you're projecting yourself into these fictional spaces with the like the you know the possibility of like projecting that fictional space onto a, an actual like real space in which you live and therefore yeah you know it, it is um yeah it is a kind of like it's a theme park where the possibility of like owning everything in the theme park uh kind of uh informs your like the way in which you can kind of like have this fantasy experience yeah and i think one of the things i really like about it too is that like well you use the term uh experience to describe it and i think that is like such a key part of their their branding too which i really do admire ikea is a, a weird company to me because i feel like it's one of those it's one of the few like giant international corporations like Costco that actually like has a fairly like solid reputation uh, in a lot of, in a lot of respects um, uh, uh, like among the general populace, like people very rarely have much negative to say about Ikea other than like some of the furniture breaks easily. Like uh, you, I feel like you don't hear a lot of, a lot of, uh, smirching or weariness towards ikea and i think uh one thing that that does that does help their reputation is the fact that they do build it into such an experience like one thing that i, I heard i don't know how common of trivia this is this may be like a very well-known fact about ikea but i learned it fairly recently and was quite intrigued by it uh is the the fact that uh so Ikea is very notorious as like always being very out of the way. And like, even in major metropolitan cities is always kind of on the outskirts of the city. Like I think the greater Los Angeles area has one in Carson, which is conveniently located very near me, which is nice. Uh, but then the other one is in Burbank. And I, I believe at least in LA County, those are the only two. And those are polar opposites, opposite ends of the city. One about as South as you can go and one about as North as you can go. Um, so if you're anywhere remotely in LA proper, like it's a trek to get to Ikea. And so, and so the, uh, the reason for that being like that, that is, that is pervasive everywhere you find Ikeas. And the reason for that is uh, it's, it's a very intentional choice because Ikea, especially since they have the restaurant in there too, they encourage people to spend all day there and to make like make an event of going to ikea so if you you can't really go to ikea to window shop is sort of the idea you can't really yeah. go to be like oh this chair might be nice maybe i'll come back and get it later you go and you're like oh this chair might be nice i don't want to drive 50 minutes next time to go pick it up let me just let me just grab it now my god and then while you're there it's like oh well i can stop for lunch too and have meatballs and lingonberries that have no right being as delicious as they are like you can and so it is a it is, uh, it, it's a really genius business model because you're pretty much guaranteed uh, basically a successful consumer interaction upon every, every time someone enters that door. Uh, additionally, I think it's also, it, it's, it's a, one thing that is, I think a more common fact is that people tend to be very satisfied and value something more when they build it themselves. Uh, and so and like, it just, it hits, I don't know if it's serotonin or what is entering your brain there. I'm not good at the brain sciences and the what have yous, but it feels nice in the head, uh, when you, when you build something yourself, uh, it, you, you value that item more. And so I think that's also, uh, that also goes, uh, to, to benefit them as well is that like, 
IKEA furniture furniture is DIY only to such an extent. You're not, you know, painting the lumber. You're not, you know, you're not using it on like a table saw. The pieces are all there like a Lego set. Um, but it is still, you know, it, half an hour to two and a half hours worth of, of labor on your part. And so it's just like, it, it does, it does uh, hold a little more sentimentality, this mass produced furniture, like, because you, because you made it yourself. Um, and so I think that like, yeah, it is, there are so many reasons it is such a, like, it is such a, a, a valuable and satisfying place to go to. And like, I think it, it's, you know, uh, it's a place that is successful for very clear reasons. Also like the furniture is not cheap, but it's always fairly reasonably priced for the most part. You'll occasionally be looking at like armchairs and you're like, oh, okay, this one's $80. This one's 65. This one's 430. This one's 70. <laughs> like it's like there, yeah. but like for the most part, it is all very reasonably priced stuff. And so, yeah, I, I just, I, I think they have a, a wonderful business model and I'm fully on board with Ikea. I do well, I want to quickly just say like, yeah, I actually think the Legos comparison is like very apt because like, because yeah, like Ikea, like there's not, there, there's no like real craftsmanship involved on your part, but there is this kind of like level of like satisfaction of interpreting instructions. There's like the same satisfaction you get with Lego. It's like that, that kind of like that physical act of building a thing where like your kind of like mental work and like the skill kind of comes in and the ability to interpret a set of instructions, which, you know, are not always, which are clear, but not, you know, completely in like that kind of like, it's that like mix of things that like winds up being like very, yeah, you know, like it hits the brain in the good ways. Uh, yeah, there's just, I think there's just such an inherent sense of play in every stage of your IT experience. Mm. Um, I think just like, I mean, even I, every every section of IKEA deserves its own podcast. Honestly, <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant radio show. Radio shows are just <laughs> podcasts that went to grad school. Well, but, apparently, um, apparently our our podcast is busted. So, so, but once we get that fixed, you'll be right again. Yeah, if you guys ever want to pivot, you do have you do have this as an out. You can, but like, um every everything is so exceptional and i think just the fact that everything's in swedish adds to the sort of inherent like alien nature of everything which is sort of fun to explore and like even eat like they have sort of a, a kind of grocery store at the end and it's yeah. no good products. coffee what's that good coffee grounds they, oh they, yeah i always get my coffee from my kid <laughs> um it's just like not stuff you get like they don't have milk or eggs or anything but they have like biscuits made of meat or something and that's something that's fun and it's it's like I, I don't know, it's just so great i think the heart of commodity aesthetics is that the perfect commodity exists in your mind like a louis vuitton bag is just a bag but we have this concept of louis vuitton and i mm. think Ikea is so perfect because it exists in such a large part in your mind. Like the play aspect is so imaginative. And like with Disneyland, they have to construct a space. With Ikea, you're, you have the like, the sort of play with it is you have to sort of construct an apartment in your head. And it's your perfect 
ideal apartment and it's full of great affordable furniture sorry i just like i just love that yes like ikea is the object cause of desire like I, the, the the drive for ikea reproduces itself <laughs> the, the i i i really never thought that we'd ever get to a point on this show where we'd be discussing ikea through the lens of marxist theory but but i i'm really happy that we're here now yeah it's you very really exciting. run out of video games oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well anyway. Stay tuned next week for Target with Deleuze. <laughs> uh, I think I think we are just about running out of time here, but um, yeah, this was certainly one of the more unique discussions we've had on this show. And I and usually when people say like, "Oh, this was more unique," ugh, they usually say it in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of meaning like bad or unsatisfying. No, this was a great conversation, and I was thoroughly riveted by this by uh, by by um yeah this this sort of new ground we've tread on this show and i i don't know that we'll have another episode like it um unless you come back on isa so we definitely <laughs> would love you to come back on and, and yeah uh let we can we can we can talk shop about pier one imports or something uh <laughs> can we is pier one still around i have no I, the one near me shut down yeah i think they're actually about to die uh, so bad example uh Oh, I know, Radio Shack. <laughs> um, but but uh, uh, yeah, so so uh, thank you so much for coming on, Isa. Very much thank appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Um, you know, things are uh, uh, turbulent to say the least these days, uh, but it's always nice to, to hear from old friends and to, to catch up. I'm glad we all got this chance. So... With that being said, Isa, any any message you want to relay to the people before we before we depart? Ooh, well, I just I'm such a big fan of the show. Um, I hope if anything, as a fan, this allows you guys to uh, to widen your range with what media can be, and what maybe next week is the the spaghetti episode you know <laughs> i well we, we you know time will time will tell uh well yeah isa thanks so much for coming on the show i also forgot to mention at the top of the show as i have for the last few weeks uh if you are registered please vote this year my god please vote uh anyhow it's another discussion for another day but it's really important uh isa thank you for being here stay, uh, take care everybody stay safe and stay healthy stay safe everyone <laughs>